Hi, y'all. This is Kristen Chenoweth. Hi, I'm Gloria Stefan. This is Sarah Bareilles. Hi, I'm Patty Lapone. This is Lynn Manuel Miranda. You're listening to the Broadway Podcast Network. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. My name is Lisi LaFontaine, and you're listening to Eleven, the official theater podcast. Hello and welcome to Eleven, the official theatre podcast that brings the biggest stars and creatives together in one place to discuss life in the arts. She's the dazzling West End leading lady that's currently originating the role of the sparkling diamond Satine in the London stage debut of Moulin Rouge the Musical. Epic costumes, epic sets and some pretty darn epic vocals, she's shining bright in the role that's sure to back her an accolade or two as the musical becomes a theatrical staple at the Piccadilly Theatre. No stranger to the London stage, she also created the role of Dina Jones in the original London company of Dreamgirls, alongside her Effie White, Amber Riley. So here in an exclusive conversation, we discuss bringing Moulin Rouge to the stage, tackling the trapeze, feeling herself in some of the greatest costumes to feature on a London stage, and why it's time for us all to embrace the escapism that the show serves up. Plus we dive into her famous musical family, discussing a Broadway debut for her mother most recently, and why her legendary father was bougie as hell and proud of it. Plus there might also be talk of all things Beyonce and Dreamgirls, including how she played a personal part in the now iconic musical arrangement of the duet version of Listen. It's the first class talents of the beautiful Lizzie LaFontaine here now on this, the next episode of Eleven, the official theatre podcast. To ensure the safety of all involved in this episode of Eleven, Lizzie and I connected for this conversation digitally, so please forgive any brief moments while we wait for the internet to catch up. Enjoy. She is the sparkling diamond of the West End, shining bright in the London stage debut of Moulin Rouge, the musical. So please help me welcome to this, the next episode of Eleven. It's the glorious Lizzie LaFontaine. Hi, Lizzie, how are you? I'm so good. How are you? I'm good. I'm so excited that we're going to get the opportunity to do this. I've been badgering you and your lovely team for so long. I've been like, I want to talk to her. I want to talk to her. So thank you for finally giving in and, and sort of not telling the police that I've been asking too much. I really appreciate it. <laughs> yeah, the police will be at your door in, in minutes. This feels like a slightly more glamorous setup for us because the last time... Or I say the first time really that we ever spoke was in I think it was like a Cafe Nero in Covent Garden just before Dreamgirls so I feel like even though we're not in person together this is a little bit more glamorous right? I would say so this is giving very 2022 big zoom energy <laughs> definitely a step up but I remember that so well I remember feeling really nervous because it was one of like the first interviews I was doing for the show and that truly feels like another life though and then when I saw you at the Black British Theatre Awards I was like oh my god it's so crazy how much time has passed and how much has happened since then, you know? It's weird, isn't it? Because it does feel like 
two minutes ago, but then it also does feel about 20 years ago. It's this weird thing, I think, with life generally where you're like, did I see you last week or two years ago? Which one was it? Yeah, especially with the, the last two years where it feels like we just had like a weird time warp. Yeah, this is going to be a an interesting part. So, but we should talk about something that's very, very exciting. And I should say, I did joke at the start, like I am obsessed with you, but this was sort of fully fledged, confirmed, 10 down when I did come to see you play the Sparkling Diamond in Moulin Rouge last week. And I don't know if you can tell, you probably can't because I'm doing quite a good job of sort of lozenges and paracetamol, but I literally lost my voice screaming so much. <laughs> I like, turned up at work the next day and they were like, where have you been? I was like, I went to the theatre. I promise there's nothing ill toward. It's just the most extraordinary show. And you are exquisite. I mean, I expected you to be fantastic, but it's just the performance of a lifetime from you. Before we talk about specifics and how much the, sort of the West End has fallen in love with this show, are you just having the best time? Yes, absolutely. I mean, like you said, role of a lifetime, like show of a lifetime, very much a, the most amazing show to be in after what we've all just experienced. It's like so extravagant and over the top and just in your face the best cast on earth like nicest people on earth to work with so yeah having the best time but it's also exhausting it's like a really really high energy show the whole time and it's a lot to come into on the flip side after so much time of not conditioning our bodies like that you know so by Sundays, like all day yesterday, I was laying on the couch the entire day. Like I was supposed to do my laundry. I was supposed to wash my face. Like I couldn't move. So it's it's definitely a little tiring. We need to get into a, a better rhythm because, you know, with opening, we had a lot of extra press stuff and a lot of extra things. But beyond the the general exhaustion, it's like just such a dream, such a dream. I think my favorite part about that answer was when you slowly slipped into your sateen voice there where you were just like ever so slightly British and I was like there it is because the <laughs> voice is so distinctive and when you came on in the song and I was like oh that's not the accent I expected then you spoke and I was like oh my gosh there is like a certified sateen voice right like you have to do that in order to be her. You do I mean so when I first auditioned in New York it's more of like a mid-Atlantic accent so it's not fully British it's just kind of like this interesting in between but then they were saying that for here that that would not work because people would just think that I was doing a terrible British accent it's like you have to be fully British worked with an amazing dialect coach and thank god for my entire life my family's just been doing British accents for fun like <laughs> so and thank god I lived here before and you know actually am friends with a lot of British people it's not like I've just kind of because you know the British accent that most Americans do and it's not mm -hmm. a British accent you know yeah, I can't, I can't even say Satine's lines in my own accent. Like, it just really? doesn't come out. Yeah, it feels so weird. I have to say them in, in the accent. You should try it one time just at home and be like, no, nah, this doesn't work. But then you probably will mess up. So maybe it's not a good idea. Exactly, exactly. And sometimes I'll think that because when Jamie's talking, Jamie is so American. And so it sometimes makes me want to slip back into my accent. And then I'll start to say something and I'll feel like, oh, no, was that the wrong accent? But no, it's just always slides right back into the into the British. It's literally the biggest mindfuck ever for you because you're like an American that has British sort of inflections playing an American that's got an American accent. But I mean, what who, who, What even is she? Like, what actually is she? I don't even know. I'm also like, are we in Paris? Why are we all British? When the Parisian accents came in, I was like, I'm really confused now. I was like, yeah. where's the accent going? There's a lot of accents going on. I'm here for it. 
to be fair, at least everybody understands as an audience because there isn't a human on the planet that hasn't seen the Moulin Rouge movie. And therefore you have an understanding of obviously of the location, but also of the accents and stuff. So I feel like we're on your side, but the person that I came to see the show with did actually say to me, what, she's American? And I was like, yeah. And they were so convinced by her accent. So whatever you're doing, keep going because it's working. You're fooling even the Brits. Thank you. Thank you, Ricky. That yeah. was maybe my biggest fear with this whole job. I was like, I don't want to be dragged for my accent. <laughs> Does it make, because you have arguably one of the greatest setups for an entrance in a musical ever, which I don't know if we're allowed to talk about. I don't know if it's like sort of hush, hush, keep the secrets, but I know it's, I think we could talk about it, right? I think so. Yeah. You in a rather impressive swing and arguably some of the all time best costumes I've ever seen on a stage. I mean, I was like, seriously, she doesn't have one shit costume. Normally there's one. When you do that descent singing again, one of the greatest songs of all time, it's sort of like you do as an audience member go, oh, for fuck's sake, like this is ridiculous like this is so yeah. so cool has it become normal now for you just to arrive at work on a swing and a sort of mini top hat or is is that sort of a bit weird for you still <laughs> the world's smallest top hat it depends it depends kind of midweek when you're just yeah i'm just on the swing and i'm like all right but on saturday nights like there's certain nights where the audiences are just going crazy and then i fully realize what's happening and that there are people who've either waited 20 years for this movie to be turned into a show or they've been waiting two years for the show to come over here or you know they're just huge moulin rouge fans in general or this is their first big night out like and i think when you remember all those things and you can really feel the energy from the people who are witnessing it that's when it feels crazy again because that's when I'm like, whoa, they're about to see this for the first time. Like, of course, this is my 60th time doing this. But when you know it's new for everyone else experiencing it, it feels really, really crazy because it's such a setup up there. You know, I have to walk on this bridge and sit on the swing and then there's like a preset and then I have to get my confetti and do all my little things. It's kind of like a, a routine that we have. But then as soon as it starts to lower, it's different every night because you get different reactions. Sometimes people are applauding. Sometimes it's dead silent. <laughs> sometimes it's just gasps. Sometimes it's you know, so it's, it's sometimes it feels like sitting on a couch, you know, and other times I'm just like, I'm really entering my trapeze swing right now. This is bizarre. <laughs> it's really exciting. What was your reaction when you saw Karen do it in New York? Did you, did you do what I did when I saw you, which was I just went, oh my God, like I gasped. I think I actually went, oh my God, out loud and then realized that nobody else was making any noise. Oh, I gasped. I was in the very last row of the theater when I saw the show because I got like really last minute tickets. And I just remember, I had no idea it was coming because I didn't really know much about the show when I went. And yeah, I just remember being like, <gasps> and this was before I had auditioned. This is before I even thought about doing the show or anything. But in that moment, I was like, I really want to do that. <laughs> this is fucking incredible. And then that whole number is just insane. Like the formations, the choreography, the mashup of the songs. And I was like, this is a real like pop star moment on a Broadway stage, which I feel like is sometimes hard to make the crossover of the two. Sometimes it still feels really musical theatery, but I feel like they made it this like very specific Baz Luhrmann Moulin Rouge, but also very, yeah. it feels like you're at a giant stadium concert or you're at, you know, this gorgeous nightclub you know, it's, they just immerse you in it so well with the jewelry and the lighting design and Harold being up in the windmill. Like there's just so much going on. It's such a feast 
for the eyes. It's crazy that I'm doing it now after watching it and being like, they also sort of don't really make it too easy for you though, because you do have to sing this iconic song. And then you also have to descend from the ceiling with the very cute little top hat, which obviously then has to come off. But then you've added your own vocal inflections, which were sort of showing off. Let's be honest. I was like, damn, like, how can you sing? Like, like it was so freaking good. And then you have to descend to the ground and then do what? Like some of Material Girl and, and the Beyonce songs, like literally some of the most iconic songs of all time. So it's like, yeah. come on, like you must have been like, what, in my first number? <laughs> it is a little aggressive. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, I feel like the coolest thing about doing a show that's running in other places is being able to put your own thing on it at the same time that someone else is putting their own thing on it. Karen's is obviously very iconic. Karen's is what we have immortalized in the Broadway recording. You know, Natalie's is very different than mine as well. The Australian company is is very different. All of our our houses are different. You know, like we have, all have Australia's huge, Broadway's in the middle, we're the smallest space. So when I was, um, when we were going through the music in the beginning, I was saying to Justin, I was like, can I sprinkle a little something on these songs? Or are they like cut and dry, stick to the page? And they're just so, they really, really encourage collaboration. And so the whole time that we're doing anything, if I add something in just when we're singing through it, Justin would be like, oh, and then he would even change some of the chords underneath to like support what I was doing. Like, it was just like this really amazing experience to be able to take this music that we all know because it's famous pop songs. And then also we all know it in this um, version now through the album and still be able to make it something that fits on my voice and in my body. I feel like that's, like a really lucky thing that that they allowed all of us to be able to do. So I love the people that notice it though, because a lot of people haven't heard the cast recording at stage door. People will be like, you really put some shit on that. <laughs> you put some sauce. Thank you for confirming that I am a musical theater nerd. I appreciate that indirectly, but you know, it's like, it's, it's, do you know what it is? And this sounds like such a nerdy thing to say, but like, it's nice just to hear somebody's take on something rather than just a copy and paste job, which so often for understandable reasons has to happen. It was nice that we got as an audience member, the opportunity to see what you wanted to do with the part. And I, I think as an artist, I can imagine that's actually quite liberating. Yeah, absolutely. I think, especially when you're doing the same thing every night, like if you can't at least put your own thing on it, then it starts to feel like a job. And this is like the coolest job on earth. So why would I ever want to feel, you know, pigeonholed into something? They really allowed us to like bring ourselves to it, which I think makes it new every night, you know. You mentioned the music in the show and sort of listened to the album. I must confess, I didn't listen to it all the way through. I was like, right, I'm going to listen to as much of it as I can. And then life gets in the way and you stop or you pick certain songs you recommend so, or recognize. So when you actually sit in the theater, you're like very spoiled in terms of just iconic songs, snippets, verses that you think, oh my gosh, do you think audiences are actually surprised at how much of the music they know? Because it really is like, it's this beautiful hybrid of like originality, iconic songs, jukebox. It's kind of like, there's something for everybody, which feels like the perfect recipe actually for a show. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and Clive was saying, who plays Ziedler, that there's something for everybody, whether you're five or 95, like there's a song that you'll recognize or a song that you have a memory to. And I think that's the power of, you know, jukebox musicals because they tie in so many of your other life experiences into this show and also they further the telling of the story of the show that you're seeing but with music that you recognize from other things so always they're always surprised by the songs even if they've heard the cast album they don't know where the songs fall within the actual show so only girl is one that every night people like scream with laughter at that and chandelier as well just hearing i guess men sing songs that are traditionally sung by women like i'm not sure what it is specifically that gets them but then it starts as a laugh because they recognize it and then it's a laugh of like oh that's clever you could like hear the difference in the laughter yeah, absolutely yes it's funny and it's kind of like 
silly that that's what they're singing but then also the it really lines up with what's happening in the story and I think people are genuinely surprised that we were able to find so many of these iconic songs to actually like further the telling of the story so it's it's a treat every night to hear them giggle at uh at Sia and Rihanna definitely it's it's like the best it's like a party but it's also a very impressive piece of theater it's it's you sort of go through so many different emotions I think that's why when I left the show I felt exhausted I was like I smiled so much and had such a good time that I sort of feel like pretty knackered afterwards and I was like I can only imagine how she feels it's all of your emotions that you can have it's like it's so joyful and fun then it's really impressive and then you're a little worried that someone's gonna fall off the little the platform you know what I mean like you, there's just so many different feelings and the end is sad and then it's joyful again and you're like life is amazing and then the confetti's falling you're just like yes you're looking at the people next to you and you're just like I love you like it really does feel like a night out like a good night out and just you're at a party with all these 1300 other people and we're there with you we're all partying together you know it's a good time also I do love one of your sort of entrance lines in which I I sort of have found myself quoting quite a lot which probably says more about me than anybody else which is why you're like why don't you shut up and dance with me It's so good. It's so like, it's almost like, oh, for fuck's sake. But then you're like, yes. In rehearsal, they used to make fun of, make fun of me because I would take such a long pause in between the shut up and dance with me. So I'd be like, darling, I think you better shut up. And dance with me. <laughs> like, that's a little aggressive. Maybe take out the pause. It's also it's such good. a bop as well. That's like, that was on my uni playlist where I played that song over and over again. So I was just like, oh, losing my mind. I was like, so it's freaking a, good. A really fun song. I was reading one of the interviews that you did. I believe it was when you were on just casually on the cover of the front of the I newspaper, which is obviously just a really normal, casual part of your day, right? Yeah, sure. And I saw it was an interesting quote that they chose to pick out, which was just around your identity. And, and you said that you don't look like Nicole Kidman. Has that been a dialogue that a lot of people have had with you about your casting in the show? And you referenced the other women around the world that, that play Satine. They're all women of colour. And that in itself feels like something that we should very much celebrate. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I mean, of course, it's always a question. Um, hopefully we get to a day when then it's not a question anymore. It's just kind of mm-hmm. like, okay, you're doing the role. But I'm also very happy to have the conversation. I'm very happy to represent for my communities. You know, I'm, I'm mixed, but I also, you know, identify and people see me and majority as like a black woman so I feel like I represent both the black community and the mixed community and there's a huge mixed community in London specifically you know there's times when I look out in the audience and I see like girls who look exactly like me or look like me when I was in high school and I'm like whoa I don't think that when I was in high school and I went to go see shows there were shows that were traditionally white that were played by people who looked like me and if there were it was like super groundbreaking you know, it was, or even like Hamilton, Hamilton was crazy. And now I feel like that's happening really often is we're just taking mm. roles, giving them to the people who we feel can best portray the role. But yeah, it's it's obviously going to be a conversation just because of how iconic Nicole is and how iconic the film is. And I just think that it's, it's um, a really fun opportunity to be able to, to put your own experiences into it. And I know, I believe, all three of the girls who are Satine besides me are all 
different Asian mixtures, which is incredible because I feel like there's a huge lack of Asian representation specifically in theater. But obviously their cultures are very different than mine. And so I think it's really, really fun and amazing to see how all three of us, well, Courtney hasn't started yet, but how the, yeah, there's three of us currently, how each of us interpret it in our own ways and bring our own cultures and histories into it without it being about race. Like there's never a part in the show where we discuss that I'm Black. There's never a part in the show where... We talk about how it's probably unlikely that I would be <laughs> leading, headlining this club in the 1800s, you know? There's a lot of things that are just kind of understood and respected. And I feel like the team was really amazing with being like, if anything is weird to you, if there's any lines that feel off now, then tell us and we can change that. If there's something that feels racially charged, then let's discuss it. If you feel like you're using something from your own experience in here, like let us know so we can all know that that's happening. You know, it was just like the way it should be, you know, where it's not the focus of the story, but it's also, you're not ignoring my experience. You're not ignoring the fact that, you know, I do look not like Nicole Kidman, but that's not the point. The point is that we're here to tell the story the best that we can. So um, I'm not sure if I even answered your original question there. I really went off on a tangent, but I do think that it's important to have the conversations, especially right now. But I, I'm hopeful that we'll get to a point where it doesn't need to be mentioned. Maybe five, 10 years. Absolutely. And the fact that the conversation is happening away from those individuals, but it's happening with creatives. It's happening that they're wanting to initiate a dialogue. I can only speak to my experience as a queer person, but the fact that other people are having it without me having to initiate it feels mm. like something is changing. And I personally feel like that can only be a positive thing. Absolutely, absolutely. And our team has a whole like equity inclusion board. And there's this woman named Chloe Beck, who is like the fiercest lady on earth. And on our first day of rehearsal, we had this Zoom with like everyone from who couldn't be in London. And we just had all these conversations about respect and integrity and microaggressions and pronouns. And like, it was just this, I've never experienced that before. And theater is like one of the most inclusive communities there is. But to know that their whole team is actively working on bettering themselves and furthering the conversation was so um, like, uh, it was such an amazing feeling to know that I was working for a company that genuinely cared, would have done that whether I was in the room or not. And I remember so many of the other people of color and queer people in the company were just like, thank you for this, seriously. Like I've never been in a space where people validate my experience before I have to ask them for it. It's just a, it's a really, really great team. I'm very thankful and I'm very hopeful for for the future, if these are the people who are, you know, going to be running things, fingers crossed, fingers crossed. Absolutely. And also it's, it's, sorry, this sounds like super obvious to say, but like, if you look around that cast and you look around the people that are sort of doing the work, quote unquote, every night on stage, obviously this doesn't sort of discredit anyone backstage. They are people from minority identities. Therefore, if you don't respect those people, who's going to be doing your show? Do you know what I mean? It, 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 we have to work together. Exactly. Yeah. It's such a diverse cast. It's like so sick to just look around the room and be like, yes, 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 yes. Like there's something and somebody for everyone in this cast. And it is delicious. One of the things I do want to talk to you about, and I reference it at the start, was those costumes. Because as much as I did joke, like you sort of are spoiled, it's not an, sort of an exaggeration that every time you come out, it's like, and there's a another signature piece that fits perfectly with the wigs you're just like the hair 
It's like they spent money on this character and these costumes. Do you get to enjoy them or are you just in the madness of the show where you're like, oh, this thing again? I, I kind of miss tech for that reason because that was the only time I ever saw myself in the costumes except for the press pictures. So I see myself in diamonds a lot. Obviously, I'm not in the beginning of the show, so I'm in that for a little while. And I see myself in the finale costume and that's pretty much it. Yeah, the, uh, a girl that I did Dream Girls with came to the show the other night and she messaged me and she's like, you are spoiled for costumes. Like both the shows that you've been in, <laughs> you just had like the best costumes but this definitely takes it up a notch every corset like they're all corsets and they're just like perfectly fitted to each body they breathe but they still hold you together like the quick changes are insane you know it's it's some some of the fastest quick changes i've ever had to do of which some of them are on stage right yeah there's there's two on stage yeah which must feel great you know getting changed on stage I was like oh I'd hate that yeah I'm like okay (laughs) um they're you know the way they do them but the costumes come from everywhere so like all my shoes are made in Australia they're all custom made they all have my name engraved on the inside like it's just bougie it's just so much money the wigs I think came from New York a bunch of the courses came from New York a lot of them were made here so yeah it's just kind of again like this huge communal experience bringing these costumes to life and Kathy I think who 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 did the costume design I think has won the most Tonys of anyone ever I think that's a true fact the most Tonys of anyone ever I think she has like 20 something like that something like absolutely insane and she just won another one for the show so also as well I feel like she's probably got one of the hardest jobs I mean the the production values of this are like through the roof like I know people will have of course seen this the sort of the opening scenic design a lot on social media not necessarily encouraged but I think there's no way you could go into that space and not take a photograph I mean it's like jaw to the floor but when you then see the costumes in the show you're just like and then the sets and then you're like oh my days like this is I don't want to say it's proper money because it sounds crude to say it but like like, this is an expensive show and it's just looks phenomenal and the fact that it has this creative team you, you're gonna go to like a really cute amazing little play after this and be like sorry but i need i need iconic like i don't do small things anymore <laughs> i can't do this i don't enter my trapeze i quit can you imagine yeah no it's it's a very special show a very special group it's tricky because a lot of people might interpret the show as being cheesy just because it is so over the top but I feel like that's the one thing that we're kind of actively trying to work against is like it's not Shakespeare obviously you're not about to come and have like a transformative theater experience but then at the same time you will like you'll come and you'll have such a good night and you'll leave feeling really happy and isn't that enough you know what I mean like And I also think that we do add a lot of like heart and passion and truth to the story. Like, of course the characters are over the top, the costumes, the set, everything is over the top. But I do think that like the genuine love that we all have for each other does come through. And I feel like our company hopefully does a good job of, you know, bringing, grounding the stories where we can, while it also letting it live in this really extravagant place. Right now I feel like people need escapism. They need to go somewhere and just be like, I'm, I'm like in a, in a little different world right now. And this is kind of all that matters for the next two and a half hours. And then you can leave and talk about it and be like, ooh, I want to go back. But this time I'm going to sit up here. I want to experience this. Or I want to go and see this person when they're on. And I hope it's just, it becomes that for London and for theater goers here. Just kind of like a, a place to go and escape and just have a good time. I'm going to sort of correct you on one thing. It is definitely Shakespeare. I've never seen anybody at the National Theatre 
cough blood up on stage like you did. Thank you very much. It was a National Theatre winning performance. The coughing up blood is definitely very Shakespearean. You were like, cough, cough, cough. Here's like gallons of blood. I was like, girl, you need to get that looked at. <laughs> I know. I'm like, hopefully this is a napkin I've used before. And like, I'm just adding blood onto it. And this blood didn't all come out in this moment. I haven't really fleshed that one out yet. <laughs> At the same time that you were leading a West End company in an original musical for London, I do believe that another family member of yours was making their Broadway debut, which meant that you did have to share, am I right, a little bit of the limelight in terms of making history? Are you and your mum close again now? She's basically trying to steal your spotlight. <laughs> you know, we did have a fist fight about it, but we've we've made up now. Yeah, no, absolutely insane, like the timing of all of this. I was so shocked because she FaceTimed me one day and she's like, I think I'm doing Trouble of Mine on Broadway. And I was like, wait, what? <laughs> this is when I was in rehearsals that she booked it. Yeah, she was covering LaChance. This is her Broadway debut, but she's been obviously working my whole life. She's, yeah, she's in her 60s making her Broadway debut and she's just like the most iconic woman of all time. Her show is obviously still going when our show uh, was closed for COVID. So luckily we didn't have to share too much of the limelight. You know, <laughs> I was shut down so I could give her her moment. Uh, no, but I feel like she she's the queen of like inclusivity and support. She loves to just be like, you know, even if it's my birthday, she'll be like, Lisi, happy birthday. And Sky, I love you so much, my daughter. And my other daughter, my favorite daughter, number one, my favorite daughter, number two, one, two, two, one, both the same about a favorite. I love you both so much. So everything was very kosher. You know, like a lot of my family went to see her when she did the show. And I saw these videos of her final bow and I was like sobbing in bed watching it because she's just standing there like taking it in. Just like I can see her taking the deep breath like as the curtain's coming down. And I'm just like, oh my gosh, my heart. So it's just, it's such a blessing and so crazy that this is happening at the same time. But uh, she just came out here to see the show and I'm, I'm so thankful. I wish I could have seen her, but yeah, it was a very iconic little month there. We were both doing our thing. Please tell me that one time you just texted her and was like, I know you're making your Broadway debut at 60, mom, but I've got a swing, so therefore I win. <laughs> No, but she, she freaked out when she gave us the show. She's like, I've already seen it on Broadway and I was losing my mind. She's like, I cried the whole last 15 minutes of the show. <laughs> oh, she's <laughs> so, so sweet. To to she was like, I had to go to the bathroom to have a moment. And I didn't realize how long I was in there. And they knocked at the door and they're like, you need to leave. <laughs> the theater's closing. Also, if anybody's looking for a video that will actually melt their hearts, I just want to pick out the video of you telling your mom that you got this role. Just, It's just the most wholesome, real moment of just like, she's so happy for you. And obviously she's your mom, so you expect her, but it's just so genuine. And it's, I, I watched it a couple of times. I was like, oh, I'm really glad that you got this on camera so that you can relive it and remind yourself what a precious moment it was. Yeah. That video, thank God, my boyfriend's a photographer, so like he's always on hand, like ready to go if there's something happening. We were actually going to the doctor that day. I was having a lot of like throat issues. So yeah, she was coming to pick me up to take me. And when I was there, I was like, I have news. And she was just like, what? Because it had been weeks since my last audition. So I don't think she even thought that that was what was going to happen that day. It's so her. Like that is, that video is just my mom to a T. She was just the most joyful person spinning around. This is great news. This is like it is so pure and cute. I watch it whenever I'm feeling low and it really brings me back up. Now, it's very much a musical family. Like everybody in your family is very musical. And I was doing some research before this and reading one of your interviews. And I realized that 
your dad has this amazing voice that loads and loads and loads of people are going to instantly recognize because he is, and I quote, the movie trailer king. And if you go and listen to his voice on some of those trailers, you'll be like, oh my gosh, that is that is the voice of trailers. Obviously, you're here in the UK now where uh, not too far away from, from London is where they filmed The Holiday, which of course he voiced the trailer for. So have you had the opportunity to sort of do a full circle moment and go? Okay, first of all, literally one of my favorite movies of all time. I think Christmas Eve. Um, love that movie. Love that soundtrack. <laughs> but no, I have not been. I really want to go to the, wherever that cottage is, but I think it might be CGI. I don't know if it's real. The cottage was built as an exterior, but the actual pub itself and the main sort of three-way, that's real. Oh, that's I'll good. send you some pictures afterwards to show you. I would love that. Yeah, I really, I would love to go. Yeah, it is, it is crazy. He, he passed when I was 14, so that's been like 13 years. But obviously growing up, like he was that guy and it wasn't weird at all because he was just my dad and he did it my whole life and he had a studio downstairs. And when I was a kid, he was, <laughs> sometimes I talk about this and I'm like, this is crazy. <laughs> but basically he was really bougie. He was just like king of the bouge. He grew up in poverty and like worked his way all the way up. So he just wanted to enjoy his goddamn life. And he had to go to all these different houses or all these different um, studios. So like ABC, Fox to record the sessions every day. So he would drive, drive there, like look at the copy, record, do like tonight on Fox, uh, this Thursday on CBS, you know, all those. And then get in the cargo somewhere else, do another one, do all the stuff. And then he realized he didn't want to drive anymore. He wanted someone to chauffeur him around. And then he was like, I don't want to have a little SUV. I'm going to get a white stretch limo. So when I was about two, my dad purchased a limo that we parked in our garage. And he had Clinton, who literally married my cousin, so now part of the family. Clinton would drive him around to all the studio houses for him to do his sessions. And he would have little jelly beans in the in the champagne cups for me and my sister. And he would take us to school. And literally some of my friends that I'm still friends with from preschool are just like, yeah, bitch, remember when you used to come to preschool in the limousine? What was that? And I'm like, yeah, what was that? So anyways, that was like the beginning of my childhood where that was just kind of like normalized how over the top he was. And then he uh, built a studio in the house so he could just work from home. So it was like, it's cool, truly the best job on earth. You can just wake up in your pajamas drink coffee, go downstairs, record a bunch. And then, and you have, he had such a famous voice but people didn't know what he looked like. So he can live a yeah. very conspicuous life and not be bothered or hounded. But obviously when people found out who he was, it was like, you're the voice of my childhood or you're the voice of all the yeah, movies. I've literally heard. though. Yeah. I think for us in our generation, it really is like our childhoods. We grew up with his voice. Like he was hmm. doing the trailers for all of our favorite films growing up. You know, for, for people who weren't born until the late 2000s, that's what's interesting is a lot of them don't recognize his voice as much. So the longer he's gone, the more I'm kind of like, oh man, that's kind of crazy. That's kind of a bygone era now. You know, movie trailers aren't really announced anymore. They're just clips of the film mainly. So it was amazing to witness that and to be around that. Uh, now it feels like a completely separate life. But yeah, it was obviously just very normal when I was growing up to turn on the TV or the radio and hear his voice and just be like, oh, dad, you know? And now if I hear it again, I'm just like, oh, it's the craziest feeling ever to watch an old film and a trailer plays and his voice is on it. I'm just like, oh my gosh, hi. Does hi, that happen hi. a lot? Do you, or you, is it usually when you're least expecting it? I can imagine where you're like, I know that voice. Yeah, it's always, it's always when you least expect it. It's, it's only really if I watch like DVDs, if I watch old DVDs and they play the trailers mm. in the beginning, almost all of those 
have his voice somewhere on them. And it's, it's just very bizarre. Or there was a movie that came out on Netflix called In a World. And that was kind of all loosely based on his life. And that was probably the most recent thing that's come out when I was on Netflix and it'd be the trailers play, like as you're scrolling through the page, sometimes his voice would come up and I was like, whoa, <laughs> wow. so weird. Wow. But yeah, he was, he was larger than life. Like coolest guy on earth. And he was bougie. Everybody wants a stretch limo. Okay, <laughs> you're crazy. Everything he did, he was just like, another one. He would go and pick up family from the airport and limos, you know, like he would like get dressed up tonight, doll, we're going to the opera. Like he was just, he just lived life. Did he ever discipline you in the voice? Like, did he ever use it at home or was it always a work thing? That was literally just his voice. So yeah, anything he said was in that Oh my voice. gosh. Because like, normally voiceover artists, it's sort of like an exterior part of the voice, but that was him. Yeah. <laughs> I mean, he obviously would make it lower for the darker things or the horror stuff or the action stuff. Mm. But in general, yeah. That's why my voice is quite low. I feel like a lot of these interview videos, a lot of comments are just like, her voice is so low. <laughs> and I'm like, sorry about it. That's everybody looking at the Home Alone, Die Hard and Holiday trailers, among many else, after this conversation being like, ah, I recognise it now. You've been very kind with your time today, so thank you so much. I just want to talk about one final thing with you before you go off and be a superstar in the West End. And that is a very small, small show called Dream Girls, which I don't know if anybody's heard of, but you're a rather key part of that. <laughs> and that was the first time that we got the opportunity to meet in that infamous, what was it, uh, Cafe Nero, I think it was, in, in Covent Garden. And all I did was talk to you about the fact that I literally thought I was going to wean myself with the idea that Dreamgirls was happening. And I wondered now that that experience did happen and made a monumental impact on the West End. Did you just have the time of your life or was it actually quite terrifying doing a show that is arguably, I think, the most successful and iconic piece of theatre ever? It was both. It was definitely both. Like, I, I feel like I became an adult on that job. Like, I definitely grew up a lot during that year. I feel like I learned so much about my voice, and my body, and like what I'm capable of, capable of and what I, and the things I need to start saying no to. You know, it was just like the biggest learning experience I could ever possibly imagine at that point in my life. You know, the cast was amazing. Still some of my best friends are in that cast, or from that cast. Um, and yeah, of course it was terrifying. Like <laughs> Beyonce is, people hold her very highly. And I knew that if we were going off of the movie version, people were going to have very specific wants and needs, you know, when seeing the show. Unlike if it came back to Broadway, people are would be comparing me to both like Shirley Ralph and Beyonce and like mm -hmm. anyone who did a tour in between because the States have gotten a lot of dream girls. But here it was the first time the show was coming. So I knew that it would mainly be Beyonce to be compared to. And I knew there'd just be really high anticipation for all the people who'd never gotten to see it. So... It was nerve wracking, but it's just like, it's, you can't really fuck that show up. You know, it's just so good. The bones are good. And mm. so it didn't really matter what we did. Like as long as, and I'm telling you happened every night, like they were gonna freak <laughs> out, they were gonna love it. But it was, yeah, it was an incredible experience. I, I miss that show, I miss that music. Amber is coming out here into February, I think. And we're gonna go and see Nicole Nicole was was in the second company and she's playing Effie on tour right now so I think we're gonna go and see it and just like relive that for a moment because it was just such an incredible moment in time. You also got as well I know that it was sort of a mashup of lots of different variations of the opening of Act 2 but like that was like the sort of the final version of that song which has subsequently been put in other productions like so the, to be able to sing something that is quite unquote new 
again, like n- not that many opportunities come along to be able to sing that type of music is. And I actually think, I think the Audrey McDonald version is phenomenal as well. Like that is probably the best song in the show. I'm like, this fucking rocks. It's such a good song. Yeah. Yeah. It was so cool to work with Henry because he is the maestro, you know, he created mm-hmm. all this stuff. And so to be able to like be in the room with him and Amber and I vocally arranged listen, like we, cause they're like, we wanted to be a duet, but we don't really know how we wanted to get there. So we each took our own verses, but then the whole ending of us singing together, we did. So it was literally just us like figuring out what fit right in our voices and all this stuff. And so now to hear it being done in all these different places, to hear the tour version doing it, I'm just like, whoa, those are like our little runs that we created in the, in the rehearsal where we're like, this sounds good on top of this. And so it's, it's amazing to feel like you're a part of this like ever-changing, ever-growing history of this show, you know, and to know that here especially if someone types in like dream girls cast album that my voice is on dream girls and my voice is on mm-hmm. one that okay, like, that still has not fully hit me i don't think you know but yeah it's just so iconic and such an amazing um such amazing music like some of the best music in musical theater and otherwise and so i feel very very lucky to have done that show and now to be doing kind of feels like a an elevated version of dina it's like very full circle and amazing Will you only now take jobs that have a connection to Beyonce? Is that the rule? (laughs) My next job will be becoming her, wearing her skin, being Beyonce. (laughs) If they do a Beyonce biopic, I am available. (laughs) We've cast this. Don't need to hire a casting director. (laughs) Oh my gosh. Yeah, I, I mean, I guess so, I guess. To be okay. fair, it's, it's kind of top tier. You are reaching very much up to the best. So I sort of feel like it will never let you down. It's like, it's Beyonce. She doesn't do shit things. I don't do shit things. Good night. <laughs> I'll take that. I will take that. <laughs> well, obviously the single ladies musical is absolutely going to happen at some point if we're alive to see it happen, because I feel like it'll be another world, but it probably will happen at some point. Now we've got a Britney Spears one too. So, you know, maybe I'll see you at the opening of that. <laughs> I'll see you there. This has been such a pleasure. I'm so grateful that we got the time to do this and I know we've gone way over so thank you so much for giving me such a large chunk of your time and thank you for the best night out ever I still feel a little bit croaky from screaming too much apologies to the lady next to me that just kept throwing death stares at me during it but thank you so much and most importantly have fun and enjoy this wild journey thank you thank you thank you thank you so lovely to talk to you let's let's do it again come see us again for sure definitely next time we can have a date we've done where did we do? Cafe Nero. We've done Zoom. Should we go to the Ritz next? Should we go to the top? I think we need to do the Shard. That's the, <laughs> only, that's the only next option. Amazing. I'll arrive on a swing. Leave that to me. <laughs> You've been listening to Eleven, the official theatre podcast. Find out more about Eleven at elevenpodcast.com or via the Broadway Podcast Network. Hey, it's Leslie Odom Jr. here on the Broadway Podcast Network to tell you about the RISE Theatre Directory, a program of maestro music. RISE is a national online resource designed to connect and empower backstage and administrative and creative theatre professionals from underrepresented backgrounds. If you work or aspire to work in the theater community, this can help you find your next project. And if you hire theater professionals, search the Rise Theater directory to find your next team. Create your profile now and get more information by visiting risetheater.org. That's theater with an R-E-R-I-S-E-T-H-E-A-T-R-E dot org because only together we rise.